0: I do have an important question as we get started here this morning, I want you to honestly ask yourself, who am I? Who am I? Everyone searches for a clear identity to define who we are and to be known for something. And so some people define their identity by their career. And so they'll work long hours, they'll sacrifice their family, even sacrifice their health. Well, why? It's not because it's a job. That career is what what boosts their ego and what gives them feelings of accomplishment. And so that career is that person's identity. But other people find their identity in their possessions, and so they desire that new car, that new electronic device, the new clothes. And the reason isn't because they just want to have reliable transportation or because they want to clothe their body. No, their possessions are part of their identity. They want to be noticed and recognized. Others define their identity by their education. And so they believe that their life's purpose is is to gain knowledge, to have their minds enlightened, to have technological breakthroughs, to be recognized for their academic or intellectual abilities. And so their identity is in education. Other people, I would say this is more common with ladies, but it can be men too, but they find their identity in the relationships that they have. And so if you ask, "Lady, who are you?" she might say, "Oh, I am a wife or I am a mother." And that becomes the some total definition of who they are. When that's not true, you are more than a diaper changer or a nose wiper. You're far more than a mother or a wife, those are part of who you are, but your identity, the core of who you are, is much more than that. Other people find their identity in maybe a personality trait, and so, oh, I'm the funny one, or I'm the pretty one, I'm the skinny one, I'm the popular one, I'm the successful one, I'm the thrill-seeking one, and so we find many different ways that We look in the mirror and we ask ourselves, who are you? We try to define who we are and be known for something. But let's just be clear. Things like career, possessions, education, relationships, or even unique personality traits are not wrong. They're they're not evil. They're not bad. But you're made for more than that. Some you are thinking, well, if those things are not bad, so then what's the big deal, pastor? Well, your identity is far more important to you and me than sometimes we realize. How we define who we are will dictate how we live our lives. And here's why. Because how you define who you are is tied to what you believe your purpose is for existing. And so hear me, particularly if you are searching and don't know what you believe, if you're invited here today and you don't know about this whole Jesus church thing and you're just checking it out, or whether you already are a believer, either way, how you define who you are is directly tied to what you believe your purpose is for existing. And so God defines your purpose. Purpose. You do not exist for your own agenda. You don't exist for your own pleasure. God made you, and so therefore, He gets to define what our purpose is. We exist to worship God. Your purpose is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. This is why you have been made by God. He designed you so that you will know Him, so that you can then see His indescribable, infinite perfections and be in awe of Him and bow down in worship before Him, but to bow down joyfully, willingly. He's made us to find all of our value and our worth and our purpose in Him, and live our lives as a reflection of His glory. And so I can say it this way in a phrase, you have been made to know Jesus and to make Him known. This is your purpose. And this glorious, eternal, soul-satisfying purpose defines your identity. It's tied. And so you and I have a choice to make this morning. We can either continue trying to find an identity that will be satisfying and look for our identity and define who we are in light of the things of this world that will leave us coming up empty on the inside, or we can find our identity in Christ. And so today, we're meditating on the true identity of those who belong to Jesus. So the true identity of those who belong to Jesus. And we'll be looking at that in Philippians chapter one, looking at just the first two verses in this book. The Apostle Paul, the the man that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, so this is the very words of God, through the author paul he was in a prison he was suffering he was chained and he wrote this letter as led by god to a church in the city of philippi which is in greece let's read the opening of this book and philippians 1 1 and 2 says paul and timothy servants of christ jesus to all the saints in christ jesus who are at philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is no simple greeting. This is not just, hello. I mean, it is a greeting, but it's far more than that. This opening to this letter reveals the true identity of those who belong to Jesus. And so as we look at these two verses here this morning, we're going to be answering the question, who am I? And so who am I? Well, number one, you are in Christ. Assuming that you belong to Jesus, your identity, number one, is you are in Christ. So verse 1 says that believers are in Christ Jesus. Now, in order to understand what this means to be in Christ Jesus, we need to go back to the very beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when God made Jesus. Adam the first human so here in creation what you see is God made Adam to be the father of humanity he's the first one and so Adam was given leadership over the whole world I'm going to read to you out of Genesis chapter 1 it's not on the screens but Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28 describe the role that God gave Adam. Again, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. Hear that word. Let man have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So what you see right here in the very beginning is that Adam was the head of humanity. God gave him dominion, that is, gave him a kingdom. He made him to rule, to have complete authority as a king, so to speak. Now, under the authority of the ultimate king, who is God, yet under God's authority, Adam was to have dominion, to rule over the earth. And so then he says, God tells him to multiply to fill the earth, to have a all of humanity, to have millions and billions of humans covering the face of this planet which reflect the glory of God because we bear his image. And so Adam is given the authority to rule over all of humanity, every living thing. And he was given the responsibility to obey God. God gave him instructions, and he said, okay, you're in charge, Adam. Now you obey me. And then as an image bearer, he used to image or reflect the glory of God to the world. And as this leader over humanity, Adam was supposed to lead all people to see the beauty of God and to worship him alone. And he was in paradise No sin, perfection. And he had God's presence right there, walking with him in the garden. So Adam had the authority and the tools and God's presence to accomplish this divine purpose. But he failed. Adam failed. He disobeyed God. He worshiped himself. And so because all of us are now descendants of Adam, we share in his sinful, corrupted nature. We are descendants of Adam. He is the father of all of humanity, the natural father. So every man, woman, and child, by our nature, we are in Adam. That's what we are. We are in him. We share in his sinful nature. And so every single human being that has ever been born or will be born on this planet is cursed because Adam was cursed. Adam became sinful, and so he deserved judgment as much as you and I deserve judgment. You may be a Muslim, you may be a Buddhist, Hindu, secular, humanist, atheist, agnostic, I don't care what label you give yourself or what religious beliefs you have or what cultural background you came from where you were born. It, it, it doesn't matter. All of those things don't matter because what we're talking about here is total truth, objective for all people everywhere that have ever lived And your deepest problem is not lack of information or needing enlightenment. Our deepest problem as humans is that we have a sinful nature, that our hearts are inclined. We desire to do what's evil because we're self-centered. This is our nature, which is the reason why you never have to teach children to be selfish. You have to teach two-year-olds to share. It's natural to be selfish. This is what we do. We're selfish. Because our father was self-centered. Our natural father, Adam. And yet, God had a plan. And so he sent Jesus, who's God in the flesh, to be the head of a new humanity. Jesus is the second Adam. If you look in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it describes that Jesus is the final Adam. He is a new head of a new humanity. Where the first head failed, where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Adam was tempted in the garden and he failed. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness after four days of not eating, and yet Jesus withstood he withheld his place and he said no to the temptation whereas adam fell jesus did not he worshiped god not himself jesus was fully obedient even to the point of death dying for you and me paying the price of our sin and so jesus now is ruling over a new humanity And so what you see here is the people who belong to Jesus are spiritually resurrected. We are united to him through his spirit who is in us. And we have new hearts with a new nature. And we yearn to please our king. And we want to bow down before him. We want to reflect his glory. We want to overcome our sinful tendencies. We want the people Of the world to know that we have a God and His name is Jesus and He is our King. So you are either in Adam or you are in Christ. There's no third option. Either you share in Adam's fallen nature or you share in Christ's holy nature, provided through his death on the cross, and his spirit who is in you, who is holy. And this will define your eternity. Are you in Adam or in Christ? And this also defines your identity. See, when someone recognizes that they are a sinner who actually deserves hell, and yet they repent of that sin and completely trust in Jesus God saves that person and they become a new creation. We read earlier out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that now all things are new and you're made a new creation in Christ. And so he is the only way that we're able to be made new because when we trust in him, we are then in him, and the Spirit indwells us, and we have a new identity. So following Jesus provides for us a new way of defining who we are with desires to please him. Now, what are the implications of this? Now, there's many, but this Text only gives us two, so we'll look at those two. He says, Paul and Timothy, he says, servants of Christ Jesus. This is in verse one. And so, one result of being in Christ is you are a servant of Christ. So, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is your identity. You are a servant. I'm amazed every week how I see people that get here at seven, not at 10. They get here at seven to set up the sound and then to to rehearse so that the sound is right so that they can lead us to praise Jesus without distractions of mistakes. I'm amazed how people get here at eight to help set up in the kids' area. They get here early to set up the rooms, and the teachers arrive early as well so that we can then have... A, a devotional and, and pray with them before they begin to teach. I'm amazed at how there are people that work so hard every week with overseeing all the ministries of this church. And why do they do that? Why? Why do they know get up early on a Friday to come set stuff up? Like it doesn't even make sense. Who does that? People who love Jesus, who know that their identity is that they are servants of Christ. He is our master. We're under his authority. And it's a joy. Hear me. It is a joy to serve the church because you belong to the family of God. And this is our faith family. If you look there where you're sitting, you'll see a form that looks like this. And you'll see on the back of this form, it describes our various ministry teams, So we have a communications team that's led by Heather Rackley. And what she does is she oversees our Facebook, our website, emailing you, the the, the newsletter. She oversees what you see on the screen. So everything that has to do with communication with the church and that's visual or printed, her team oversees that. And they work hard throughout the week. And they need more people to join that team. So if you have an inclination towards communications or or administration, then I encourage you to join the communications team. But we also have home groups. And so we need more people that are solid in their faith that we can talk to that could lead a home group. But you have to at least be in one. But we need people to also lead them. We have a missions team that helps mobilize our church for mission trips and overseas and missions partners. And so we also need people that potentially join that team and help be engaged in reaching this city for Christ. We also have a kids' ministry where we have over 70 kids on an average Friday. And so we have to teach them and shape young souls to know who Jesus is. And so we need more people, and particularly men. We need men that will join the children's ministry that will help teach and be an example of manhood to our children. And so that's an area of need where we can serve. We also have off-island youth. It's a remarkable ministry that we're just launching here again next week. We talk about early announcements. And so what we do with the youth ministry is we are teaching teenagers to know how to follow Jesus together. And so we need more people, especially the parents of youth, to be engage with that we also have a prayer team that meets every monday night to pray for the needs of our church and so if you have a prayer request you can put it on the form and and we will pray for you but we need more prayer warriors that will come and pray for our church we also have a setup team they come early and we are in dire need because the people that moved away here recently so that's a major area of need we have a welcome team That's also being relaunched here very new with, with new leadership. And so I encourage you to join so that we can greet people and welcome them. We also have a worship team. So if you can sing or play. Now for this one, you have to know how to sing or play. I'm not on the worship team. It'd be cool, but I don't have that gifting. But here's what I can tell you. You serve not out of duty. You serve as an expression of love for Jesus. That's why you serve. Because it's part of who you are, a servant of Christ, as part of your identity. And I can, I can tell you this, you won't get paid. You'll work really hard. You'll have amazing people that you're gonna enjoy, but you won't get one Durham but what you'll get is far better. You'll get two things. One, you'll get fulfillment. You'll you'll experience the pleasure of God as you're serving him and living out your identity. And so you'll have fulfillment and you'll have fruitfulness. You'll have the joy of being fruitful and bearing good fruit for Jesus. So if you're not engaged in serving, you really are missing out in part of your identity as a follower of Jesus he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And so part of being in Christ, one here is you're a servant of Christ, but second, you're also a saint in Christ. And so we're declared holy, a saint before God. This is not how good you can be, this is not about how holy you can try to be. No, no, no. This is about the holiness of Jesus that is imputed to you, that is transferred to you. So you have his holiness. You were declared holy before God. So if you are a believer in Jesus, you are a saint. This is what you are. This is your identity. You are a servant. You are a saint. But through the empowering of his spirit who is holy, as we submit to him, What happens is we grow in our actual holiness to be more like him. And so growing in holiness is who you are. It's part of your identity in Christ. So are you in Christ? If you're not, then you have no hope for joy. You have no hope for peace in this life. And your eternal destiny will take you very far from the love of God. But you can be in Christ today if you will trust him and repent of your sins. But secondly, who am I? You are, this is number two, you are in the community of Christ. And so you are in Christ. That's part of who you are. And you are in the community of Christ. So Paul was with Timothy when he wrote this letter to church in Philippi. He also mentions here in this letter overseers and deacons. So overseer, elder, pastor are all these interchangeably in the New Testament. And so it refers to the spiritual leaders in a church, those who lead with the word. So our church has, has elders, overseers. Again, it's, it's the same term, but we also have deacons. The word deacon means servant, and so to deacon means to serve. That's what the word means. And so our church has ministry team leaders. I, I mentioned the, 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 the different ministries. And so again, Heather leads communications. We don't have a home group leader. I, I do that. But if you want to, come talk to me. It'd be great. Our mission team is led by Hunter Rackley. Off Island Kids is led by Estelle Harris. Off Island Youth is led by Pedro Samuel. Their prayer team is led by Ruth Akeredelou. The setup team, we just lost him. Scott Boyd just is moving away. So we're praying for God to provide a new setup team leader. The welcome team is led by Lisa Byers. And the worship team is led by Ashley Rungasami. And so these are our deacons they're the ones that are the lead servants in our church but you'll notice in the text it says all the saints so all the believers in the church with the leadership so the leaders aren't above they're with they're alongside of serving together and so it's not like the senior pastor the elders or deacons are somehow above you we're not we're right there with you fellow recipients of grace who are following jesus together If you belong to Jesus, you belong to his community. This is what it is to follow Jesus. You can't do it alone. You need other people. So if you belong to Jesus, your identity includes that you are part of the community of Christ. And by the way, this doesn't mean just showing up. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean, oh, I show up on a Friday whenever I can. No, that's not what it means. What this is referring to is far more than that. You cannot become who God is calling you to be by yourself. You can't grow spiritually by yourself. You can't overcome those sinful patterns by yourself. You cannot do it alone. And you can't do it with a bunch of surface-level relationships either. It's not enough. We're a faith family, and so we need meaningful, profound relationships where people know you and you know them. So do people in this church truly know you? Is there someone here that if you're really having a hard time, man, you're struggling, and people know you so well that they're going to know you're struggling before you tell them, they know you. How would they know that? Because you do life together, because you're involved in a home group with them. In the same form, you'll see, you can send them to join a home group. Home group is 10 to 12 people that are experiencing life transformation by focusing on Jesus together. And so if you don't have a home group, then you're missing out on the most basic way to have community where you're going to be known. And so what is, what is the result of being in the community of Christ? Well, it's being a committed disciple maker. Because this is what we're called to do to go for God by making and developing disciples. And so we do this together, which is why our church emphasizes church membership. Because we believe that you cannot do this without the encouragement and the accountability of a local church. And so we, in our church, we emphasize highly relational, highly accountable ministry. Because it's the only way that the Spirit then transforms us as we focus on His Word together. So in three weeks, I invite you to my home for membership class. I would love for you to come, hear who we are as a church, and commit to joining this church as your faith family. Now, Philippians 1-1 begins with three little words. You can't miss them. It says, Paul and Timothy. And so Paul discipled Timothy. And that little word that joins them, and, man, that word and is powerful. If we put your name in there, if it was your name and blank, whose name would be next to you? Would you have a name next to you? Who have you invested in? Who, who have you been discipling? Who have you been intentionally really being honest with and pouring your heart out to them? This is what it is to be a believer again. Christians, we're crazy. We do stuff that no one does. Who Who joins a group of people, and then you join an even smaller group where you share your, your burdens with them, and, and you're honest and you hold, you're being held accountable by someone else. I mean that happens in the world it's called therapy, but you have to pay 100 bucks an hour to do it. but they, but they don't share it with you. you just share it with them. This is way better. And only believers do this. We, we do crazy things, like hold the children accountable. Why do we do that? It's who we are. It's our identity. We are in Christ. We're in the community of Christ. And so that's why we have discipleship groups, which are smaller. That's usually three or four people of the same gender that meet once a week and hold each other accountable and have explosive growth and transformation in these. Just like Jesus had 12, and then he had three, Peter, James, and John. And so we're patterning our church with home groups, around 12. discipleship groups, about three. At most, four people of the same sex. And so if you're not in one, again, you're missing out. So who am I? I am in Christ. I'm in the community of Christ. Number three, I'm in the world for Christ. Verse 2 says that grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this sequence matters. He says grace and peace. So grace comes first and then peace with God. And so grace is God being good to you, God being kind, even though you don't deserve it. And so God's saving grace is what sent Jesus. And so when we taste His goodness that we don't deserve, it transforms us and it results in peace. Shalom. Being at one with God, being at peace with Him having his presence, being at peace with each other. So as a follower of Jesus, if you have tasted the mercy of God, the result ought to be a sense of peace. And our identity, as those who have been the recipients of grace, is that we are now ambassadors. As we were earlier in 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors for Jesus. We represent him, and we speak for him. So we are messengers for him. And so we who have received grace now ought to be extending grace to others and telling people the good news that forgiveness is available. This is who you are. You are a missionary. If you're a believer, you are a missionary. You are a messenger. This is who you are. You are in the world for Christ. So what is the result of being in the world for Christ? You influence the lost for Jesus. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace come from God the Father and from God the Son. They are one. And so Jesus does what the Father does because they're both God. We read even in Genesis 1, it says, let us create Men in our image, you already have in Genesis 1, referencing the Trinity of God. The Father, Son, and the Spirit are one. And so we want to influence others for Jesus who don't know him. Why? It's an act of worship before our God. So this is our identity. This is who we are. We're in Christ. We're in the community of Christ. We're in the world for Christ. And recognizing your identity and your purpose will lead to tremendous fulfillment and fruitfulness. It'll help us to avoid living for fleeting pleasures that just don't satisfy. We have eternity that we're living for. And yes, we have various roles in our lives, but we're not defined by them. We're defined by who we are in Christ. So this is who we are as a church. So if you're new here, if, you, if you're visiting, we, we want you to know who we are as a church. We're not a country club for expats. We're not. And we don't want to be a country club for expats. We just come and hang out and, it, and, and you're comfortable because it feels like home. It's not going to feel like home. We're meeting in the zoo. It doesn't matter what songs we sing or what kind of preaching you get. The reality is, it's not going to feel like your home church. And yet, we're a community that has a passion to see lives transformed by the Spirit of God as people trust in Jesus. This is. This is a family that you can be a part of. And our hearts burn with a desire to see the heavens open so that we can see the glory of our King Jesus, so that we can know him and make him known and see lives transformed for his glory. This is what we are. We're a church that's passionate about this, of knowing Jesus and making him known. So what is your heart's desire? If you're a believer, So, hear me as we wrap up. If you are a believer, will you commit to living a life that is truly consistent with your identity in Christ? And if you're here and you're not, and you're searching, you're not in Christ. But you can be. Will you come find me and be here at the front office service? And we can talk and we can pray. I can introduce you to Jesus. And you can have this joy and peace, only he provides. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you. We praise you for we know that we are unworthy, but you are worthy. You are holy. We are desperate for you. We want to find our lives in you. Define who we are in you. Thank you for sending your son to save us from our sin and giving us this new identity of being in you, being forgiven and redeemed, and now we have the joy of telling others the same good news so that they too can experience the joy of worshiping you. So I pray that you would help us as a church to be so focused on you and in your gospel that we would be a truly healthy church, a multiplying church, a church that displays your glory. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.